Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, in today's episode, we are going to be recapping all of our action from week 9 of the 2022 college football season. And man, what a weekend it definitely was. It was Halloween weekend, so there definitely were some crazy things that did happen. A ton of crazy stuff happened on Thursday. But before we start talking about all of our action from week 9 of the 2022 college football season i first want to ask y'all to please make sure that you like comment share rate do whatever you can to make sure that we continue to grow and expand the cover seven podcast because we need to make sure that we have as many people up to date with college football and nfl stuff so guys thank y'all so much for all the support that y'all have shown here on the cover seven podcast and it truly means the world to me and it also lets me know that y'all do enjoy these recaps previews interviews everything like that but guys like i always do say here on the cover seven with mason pierce podcast i do not want to waste y'all's time or mine time so let's get right into today's episode and guys like i said to kick off kick off all of our college football action we didn't have any games on wednesday which is very unfortunate but next weekend we will have some action action will be returning so Definitely excited for that. But anyway, to kick off our Week 9 slate of games on Thursday, the first game that we're going to talk about is going to be the Virginia Tech Hokies traveling out to Raleigh, North Carolina to take on the 24th-ranked NC State Wolfpack. And, well, this game was really slow to kick it off as we only had three total points in the first half, and the, and the only points that did come out of the first half didn't happen until literally the last 10 seconds of the first half so yeah it was pretty much a snooze fest for the most part both teams just kept punting and punting and punting and punting for nc state their starting quarterback and their veteran quarterback devin leary he obviously is out with the rest of the year with an injury so they would rely on freshman quarterback and true freshman quarterback mj morris in this game and well mj he didn't even really play that bad at all as on the day mj would go 20 for 29 265 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions and you know it's kind of weird because at halftime I could I almost could have sworn to you that man I would not have been shocked if we didn't get a single touchdown in this game because there just was no action going on and well to kick off the second half Virginia Tech they were feeling kind of frisky as they would put up they, as they would put up 21 points in the third quarter so it was 21 to 10 to end the third quarter which and I, I honestly I was starting to prepare myself for okay shoot we already have an upset going on just to kick off the week on a Thursday night we already have our first upset of the weekend but well NC State they started to pick things up on offense as you can already tell MJ Morris who had his best career best career game and arguably really his first career game with NC State as he would put up three passing touchdowns for over 250 uh, passing yards and then one of their biggest contributors on offense, senior wide receiver Thayer Thomas. He would have a really good game and honestly was a major reason and why the Wolfpack were able to get back in this game as he would have 10 receptions for 118 yards receiving and two touchdowns. And, well, a lot of credit definitely is deserved towards NC State's defense because they really kept them in this game. I know third quarter was kind of shaky due to the fact that Grant Wells, he really was just being able to throw the football really freely over this NC State Wolfpack team and ultimately the efforts in the fourth quarter is really what would keep them in this game but on the, then on the flip side for Virginia Tech their starting quarterback Grant Wells the transfer quarterback from Marshall he would have he would have an okay game I wouldn't say great by any means going 11 for 22 243 yards passing with one touchdown at zero interceptions 
unfortunately, just his O-line could not block anything to save their life, so he was having to constantly run out of the pocket. Grant Wells would also uh, have two rushing touchdowns on the day and really was the only offense they really had. Now, for receiving-wise, Caleb, Caleb Smith, the senior wide receiver for the Hokies, he had a really good third quarter. I wouldn't say he had a really good game, but he had a really good third quarter where he'd have three receptions for 141 yards receiving and one touchdown. And well, ultimately... NC State, they would go on to barely survive this game against Virginia Tech. And I mean barely. Well, they only won by one point as the 24th-ranked NC State Wolfpack would beat Virginia Tech on Thursday night football, college football edition, 22-21. to As NC State, they likely are going to fall out of the top 25 as now the committee really has no other choice due to the fact that NC State, without their quarterback, Devin Leary, they aren't as strong as a lot of people thought they were. Their defense is still really good. But, man, them not having Devin Leary is just huge. And then for Virginia Tech, they now fall to 2-6 and six on the year. I'm pretty sure they're out of uh, bowl, cont bowl contention. I know they have a pretty weak rest of their schedule, which consists of teams like Georgia Tech. You got Virginia. I mean, there's not, there's not a lot of really competitive teams they're playing, but Virginia Tech's one loss away from being deemed un-bowl eligible, so... Just a really bad year for Virginia Tech. But NC State, they do survive, and now they improve to uh, to 6-2 and two on the year. But, man, not a pretty game by any means for the Wolfpack as they likely will be seeing their way out of the top 25 for the rest of the year. And then, guys, for our next game and final game that we're going to talk about on our Thursday slate of games to kick off Week 9, we're going to travel out to Wazoo as we had the 14th-ranked Utah State uh, Utes taking on the Washington State Cougars, who have a really good offense behind uh, transfer quarterback Cam Ward. And, well, going into this game, Utah, they were coming off a bye week after an upset win against USC two weeks ago in which they had an emerging star in their tight end, Dalton Kincaid, who really introduced himself to the whole country. I mean, don't get don't get me wrong, Cameron Rising, he played a really good game, the veteran quarterback for the Utah Utes. And then on the flip side for the Washington State Cougars, you know, they really want to find themselves, find their identity. You know, they, they played in a lot of close games. They were really close with USC a few weeks back. They were really close with Oregon a few weeks back until Oregon had a huge fourth, fourth quarter comeback. So, you know, Washington State, they really wanted to make a statement win. And this was definitely the opportunity. You know, it's Halloween weekend. It's on a Thursday night. You have a ranked, you have a top 25 team coming into town. So really the stars were aligned for Washington State to potentially pull off an upset win, especially being the fact that it was played up in Pullman. You know, so you have a home atmosphere behind you. And well, to start off the game, we were kind of given a shocker by uh, by Utah because their normal starting quarterback, Cam Rising, he actually did not play in this game. You know, he warmed up like normal, did all the routines, everything like that. But when he came to, you know, going out into the field for the first time and for the first drive, he just didn't show up. Instead, sophomore quarterback Bryson Barnes was a starter in this game. And, you know, for his first career start, he actually didn't play hor like horribly by any means. You know, go 17 for 27, 175 yards passing with one touchdown and didn't throw any exceptions, which was definitely a good thing for the Utes. And, you know, kind of just there was a lot of hints that were given at us, too. And it's I think it's a lower leg injury with is, is a, what Cam Rising is dealing with right now. He, he had he had it taped up and they had it booted and just all these different things going on. And I, I guess it stems from back during the USC game two weeks ago. So just something to kind of monitor for Utah. And then on the flip side for you uh, for Washington State, 
their starting their starting quarterback Cam Ward, he actually kind of balled off in this game, especially in the first half. As on the day, Cam Ward would go 27 for 31, 222 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions on the day. And, you know, definitely this game was not definitely was not as much offense as I personally thought there would be. I definitely thought each team would put up close to 40 points, if not more. And, well, it was actually more of a defensive game. Now, for Washington State and, and Utah as well, there were a lot, and I mean a lot of penalties in this game. Utah would actually get... I think I think one or two guys would get uh, ejected for targeting. I know I know Washington State they had a guy that got ejected towards the end of the first half for targeting. So there were a few targeting calls that were actually called in this game. But overall, just really strong defenses by both teams. They just allowed both to not really go off in this game. And then for Utah, Dalton Kincaid, he was really shut out during the first half. And you know Dalton Kincaid, who's kind of emerged as the number one you know offensive weapon for the Utes, he emerged during the USC game. You know he was kind of held, I think, less than 20 receiving yards in the first half, and then in the second second half he started to gain some more momentum and everything like that. But he would finish his day with seven receptions for 56 yards receiving and one touchdown, and would lead the Utes in receiving in this game. And um. Just overall, you know, nothing crazy in the air like we kind of gotten used to from seeing from Utah, but really they were able to get it done on the ground as they would have three running backs that each would have 40-plus rushing yards for a total of 169 yards rushing and two touchdowns on the day as Utah, despite it getting really close towards the end of the game and Washington State, who would put up 10 points in the fourth quarter, Utah would hold off the Cougs as Utah would go on to beat Washington State 21-17 to as Utah, they now improve to – uh. I think five and three on the year and Washington State they now fall to four and four but overall really you know really great performance by Washington State I still think they're a really good team I hope they do make a bowl game because I would love to see Cam Ward Cam Ward had a couple pretty good highlight plays in this game as well so but overall good win for Utah despite not having their starter in the game and I mean, who knows? Maybe Bryson Barnes will see him as a starting quarterback next year for the Utes if, you know, they don't get a blessing from the transfer portal. But but anyway, not a bad game for the Utes. Hopefully everything's okay with Cam Rising and Utah can be able to get things going as well. But anyway, guys, that'll wrap up all of our games on Thursday slate of games. Let me know which one let me know which one was y'all's personal favorite. Mine had to have been definitely the Virginia Tech and NC State game, just because of how how just bipolar it was. No offense in the first half. So much offense in the second half. NC State almost getting upset. I mean, it was just a crazy, just a crazy day to kick off week nine of the 2022 college football season. And, you know, since we are done talking about Thursday, let's head over to Friday. And we only had a few games on Friday. None of these by any means were any big t- big time matchups. But the first game that I do want to talk about on Friday's slate of games is going to be the East Carolina Pirates traveling out west to take on the BYU Cougars, who at one point were a top 25 team. And, well, things have just kind of slid off for BYU as their record currently now is 4-4, four and four, you know, going into this game. And, you know, there hasn't been a really lot of highs for them. I mean, they just have struggled these past few weeks. You know, they've I think they've lost, let's see here, they've lost three straight to Notre Dame, Arkansas, and Liberty. So, you know, they're going to be wanting to come back, especially after getting blown out by Liberty in Liberty. So going up against the East, Eastern, East Carolina, almost said Eastern Carolina, going up against the East Carolina team, you know, they're going to want to be able to finally get back in the win column. And then for East Carolina, you know, they almost upset NC State, who we just got ta- we just got done talking about on Thursday's slate of games, when they did have Devin Leary. So, you know, overall, not a bad team. They sat at 5-3, and three, so a very inter- 
very entertaining matchup to kick us off on Friday. And well, in this game between East Carolina and BYU, we finally got a lot more offense that we did not see on uh, Thursday. And well, in this game, you know, both squads, which had been able to, you know, throw the football pretty well, they heavily relied on the run game in this game as East Carolina, they're star sophomore running back who I definitely expect to probably enter the transfer portal once this season is over with his name is Keaton Mitchell remember the name he had a career day against BYU he really had their defense's number the entire game going for 175 rushing yards on 21 rushing attempts and also added a touchdown as well to that and he really is the MVP of this game because he pretty much single-handedly carried this East Carolina offense throughout the entire game and then on the flip side for BYU you know, overall, their offense didn't play that bad. Really, the fourth quarter, they just were never able to get anything going. Two failed fourth down conversions, but they would be led in rushing yards by their senior running back, Lapina Katoa. And I'm so sorry if I butchered that. If, you know, if most people on here that know, I am just horrible when it comes to pronouncing names. But anyway, Katoa on the day, he would have 20 rushing attempts for 116 yards rushing and one touchdown. So really, both squads didn't throw the football heavily at all. Eastern Carolina, they only had a total of about 200 uh, receiving yards on the day. And BYU, they had even less than that as they only had about 150. Um, Jaron Hall on the day, he would have a pretty solid day. You know, didn't really have to rely too much on his arm. He would go 18 for 25, 144 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. And then on the flip side for East Carolina, their super senior quarterback and what feels like he's been in college for the past 17 years, Holton Allers, he had, a, he had an okay game going 15 for 22 on 197 yards passing. Didn't have any touchdowns and didn't have any interceptions. And throughout his career, he's kind of been known for when he doesn't score any touchdowns, they'd normally lose. And, well, this game would come down to literally the last second on a game-winning field goal. That would give East Carolina the win over the BYU Cougars 27-24 to in Provo. As East Carolina, they continue to just prove themselves as to be one of the more underrated programs in all of college football right now as they now improve to 6-3 and three on the season. And BYU, after a pretty strong start to the year, top 25, upset Baylor at home, you know, dropping to Liberty last week, getting upset, I mean majorly upset by Liberty, you know, losing to Arkansas, losing to Notre Dame. They now drop their fourth straight game in a row as they now fall to 4-5. and five. So, yeah, some pretty rough times right now in Provo. And then to make matters worse, they also will be joining the Big 12 next year. So they'll be playing schools like Texas, OU, TCU, who's currently eighth right now in the nation. Got Baylor once again, who they're going to be probably going down to McLean next year. I don't know how the schedule and all that works, but definitely just going to be inter interesting to see how BYU will do when they join the Big 12. And then for East Carolina, really solid team. You know, they don't have any majorly bad losses outside of a Navy game early on in the year. You know, they almost beat NC State. They did lose that game, but almost beat NC State. And then their other loss, which when I look real quick on their schedule, uh, was to Tulane, who right now is currently in the top 25 in the nation. So otherwise, a really solid team. And definitely their run game has got to be one of the best I've seen all year. But just a, just a quick little recap of this game. East Carolina, they would go on to beat the BYU Cougars 27-24 to as East Carolina. They now improved to 6-3. and And I think if I remember correctly, I did have East Carolina in this game. So despite a pretty rough Thursday for me, you know, I – you know, I did have I did have NC State, I did have Utah winning, but you know, still uh, not the way I wanted it to really go. But anyway, outside of that, East Carolina they do get the dub over the Cougars in Provo, Utah. And man, I'm sorry I don't mean to keep repeating, it, but I'm just so surprised by how BYU has just fallen off. Like their defense, which was really stout in the first half of the year, 
they've just fallen off so far this year. So hopefully they do get things figured out here soon. And then for our final game of our Friday slate of games, right before we do head over to Saturday, the final game that we did have was the 2-5 and five Louisiana Tech Bulldogs led by former TCU and Texas Tech uh, offensive coordinator Sonny Cumbie as their head coach. And then we had a Florida International. So not too much really went on in this game. I definitely didn't pay too much attention to it. I was too busy watching the BYU and uh, ECU game. But overall, not a bad offensive game, especially passing-wise. So if you did love passing, this was definitely the game for you. But Louisiana Tech, they would barely squeeze out a win against Florida International, which, with, you know, which once again, if I remember correctly from our Week 9 preview, I also did have the Bulldogs winning. as This game would actually head to overtime right at the end as Florida International, they would end up getting a game-tying field goal at the end of regulation. So we would go into overtime, and in the first overtime, both teams would score a touchdown. So now let's head over to the second overtime. And well, off the rip, Florida International, they had no issue moving the moving the ball down the field against uh, Louisiana Tech's defense as they would score the touchdown, and then they would also get the two-point conversion on a tipped pass. So overall, Florida International, momentum-wise, they were rolling. And then... When Louisiana Tech got the ball, a lot of questionable play calling, a lot of just random lobs up into the end zone that would go out of the end zone, and then ultimately on fourth and ten, they would over he, the quarterback would overthrow his wide receiver. As Florida International, they would go on to survive against Louisiana Tech in two overtimes, 42 to 34. As FIU, they now improved to four and four on the season, and Louisiana Tech, who I honestly thought probably could have won this game, they now fall to two and six on the year. But anyway, guys, we did have a pretty good start to Week 9. I mean, right before we got into the weekend, Thursday, that crazy game between NC State and Virginia Tech. And then on Friday, we had two crazy games as we had Florida International and Louisiana Tech and then also BYU and Eastern Carolina. But anyway, I don't want to waste y'all's time. So let's get over to Saturday and its main day of games. And the first game that you know we're going to talk about on our noon slate of games is going to be the Ohio State Buckeyes traveling out to Happy Valley to take on the Penn State Nittany Lions. And well, for this game, there was a lot on the line for Ohio State, really. I mean, you know, right now, if you're an Ohio State fan, you've heard it pretty much the whole season. Ohio State's schedule is super weak. They haven't played anybody. They don't deserve to be as high as they are. You know, all of this stuff, which is not, I mean, unfortunately, it's nothing they can control, right? They can't control the fact that they're playing up against really bad teams, you know, like Iowa or going up against teams like Rutgers, you know what I mean? So this game definitely would be able to kind of kind of silent the critics a little bit, but at the same time, you know, if they were to blow out Penn State, well, Michigan did it a week, you know, two weeks earlier, you know what I mean? So it was one of those things where it's kind of a lose-lose situation for the Buckeyes, but definitely in terms of the committee getting a big-time win against the Nittany Lions, especially at home in Penn State, would be huge and you know CJ Stroud who's trying to get his Heisman trophy and everything like that he's been balling out despite I think throwing I think four interceptions you know one in each of his past four games you know he's going to be looking to have a huge game against his Penn State defense and then on the flip side for Penn State you know they just blew out Minnesota last week in their annual whiteout game this game was their kind of like version of Tennessee's checkered where it's a it's a striped out so to speak you got Navy Wyatt Navy Wyatt you know etc so a big game for Penn State and obviously a lot of implications about really if Ohio State deserves to eventually make the college football playoff. And well, the way that this game did start, it really looked like Penn State could ultimately pull off the upset against C.J. Stroud in, and the Buckeyes in Happy Valley as man. 
just Penn State's offense, and most specifically, their, I think he's a senior wide receiver, I want to say, uh, no, he's actually a sophomore, I lied, that's on me, their sophomore wide receiver, Parker Washington, who had an amazing game last year against Ohio State, in which he put up 100 plus receiving yards, he would go off in this game against Ohio State secondary, as on the day, Parker would, would have 11 receptions for 179 yards receiving, and one touchdown and also Penn State early in the game they were able to get it going on you know on the ground as well as you know Nick Singleton who's one of their many star freshman running backs he wasn't the biggest factor in this game but Katron Allen the freshman their freshman running back as well for them they kind of have like a triple headed monster at running back he would have a pretty solid game with 12 attempts for 76 yards rushing and one attempt but it would be the mistakes by Sean Clifford that would really cost the Nittany Lions this game as Sean Clifford statistically on the day 27 for 41 304 yards passing with two touchdowns and three very costly interceptions and funny enough two of those interceptions were literally to Ohio State defensive lineman JT Tuamoa Leao and I'm so sorry if I butchered that, but man, JT, he had himself a career day. One forced fumble, two interceptions, one of which of those two interceptions was a pick six. I mean, Ohio State in the second half, they just dominated the Nittany Lions, especially in the fourth quarter in which they put up 28 points on the Nittany Lions. CJ Stroud, not his best game by any means. When you look at this, you know, when you look at his stats, didn't play bad by any means, right? 26 for 33, 354 yards passing with one touchdown. Didn't throw an interception, but, you know, it's just some passes, that whether they were dropped by Emeka Egbuka, who did have a kind of rough day just in terms of being able to really catch the ball. But another wide receiver who's really stepped up for the Ohio State Buckeyes this year, Marvin Harrison Jr., the son of NFL Hall of Fame wide receiver Marvin Harrison. He would have himself another amazing game this year with 10 receptions for 185 yards receiving. And he didn't get a touchdown, but man, just what a day for Marvin Harrison as he literally put up the most receiving yards by a wide receiver against Penn State in Ohio State Buckeye history. So huge day for Marvin Harrison. And then also Travion Henderson, who's a sophomore running back for the Buckeyes. He kind of had an emerging year last year, really made the country know his name, very similar to like Bijan Robinson of Texas. And, you know, this season really hasn't been getting called on too much just due to the fact that C.J. Stroud and this Buckeyes offense have been heavily relying on the pass game. And, well, in this game, Travion Henderson would have two huge rushing touchdowns as on the day he would finish 14, 14 carries for 69 yards rushing and two touchdowns, two of which would really go on to seal this game as Ohio State Buckeyes defense, who really came up clutch in the second half, they would go on to beat the Penn State Nittany Lions in Happy Valley 44 to 24 as Ohio State they now remain undefeated and improved to 8 and 0 in Penn State they now fall to 6 and 2 with two of their losses being by some of the best teams in the Big 10 and in the country as well I mean Penn State they're not a bad team. They just need to be able to fix those little errors. Sean Clifford, you know, especially his turnover issues. And you could say they really weren't necessarily his fault. One was a deflection. The other was, um, I think, two were both deflections. He also, the fumble, and then just, just a really rough day overall by Sean Clifford. Outside of that, I really think Penn State, they showed a lot of guts and a lot of resilience in this game, but ultimately... At the end of the game, they really just fell apart, like I said, with those 28 points in the fourth quarter that they gave to Ohio State. As once again, Ohio State, they would go on to route the Nittany Lions 44-24. to As Ohio State, they got that dominant win that they've been very much needing. I mean, I know the offense was kind of worrisome in, you know, in the first half as they would actually trail Penn State 14-13 to at halftime. But they picked things up. They kind of played 
Kind of what TCU does. They take a while to get going, but when they get going, you just cannot stop this team. So really great game by Ohio State. And, you know, since we're on the topic of the TCU Horn Frogs, you know, why don't we talk about TCU as they went out to uh, they went out to West Virginia to take on the West Virginia Mountaineers. And, well, just not a really solid game by TCU. I know when you look at the score, you're like, okay, they were able to put up a lot of points. They were able to, you know, get things going. But, man, was it just a defensive struggle by the Horn Frogs today as they let JT Daniels, the former USC and Georgia quarterback, he had a really good day going 22 for 37, 260 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. But luckily for the Horn Frogs secondary, JT Daniels would overthrow a ton of passes, and I mean a ton, and that's really what would keep TCU in this game because West Virginia, despite them not having their starting running back going into this game, they had two backs that really emerged, but the biggest running back in this game had to have been their backup, C.J. Donaldson, who had 19 carries for 104 yards rushing and two touchdowns and really just destroyed that TCU that TCU front seven. And, I mean, the biggest worrisome for TCU going forward, especially the fact that they're playing Texas Tech next week at home, is how can this defense improve? The offense did not play bad by any means. Kendra Miller had another 100-yard rushing game. He had 12 carries for 120 yards rushing and one touchdown. So overall, really good day by him. I mean, the run game, you know, was going was was doing pretty good. But the problem was Garrett Riley, who's the offensive coordinator for the Horn Frogs, the younger brother of current USC head coach Lincoln Riley. Just play calling was just. I mean, completely scrambled. I mean, one second we'd be getting momentum in the run game, moving down the field steadily, first down, first down, first down, and then all of a sudden the next, you know, the next set of downs that we have, we're throwing two fade routes that we don't need to, and that's really what kept West Virginia in this game. But luckily for TCU, West Virginia would keep shooting themselves in the foot this whole game on offense, and especially on defense. I mean, they just really struggled to stop the air raid of TCU. Uh, Quentin Johnston, who is arguably one of the top wide receivers in all of the country. He would have four receptions for 76 yards receiving and one touchdown and really would have a great day. Tay Barber and uh, Savian Williams, they both would have 95-plus receiving yards. Each would have a touchdown as well. As TCU, they would barely hold on to beat West Virginia in Morgantown, which, in case you don't know, TCU up to this point had not won in Morgantown since back in 2014 during that miracle season for the Horn Frogs. But anyway... Max Duggan and the TCU Horn Frogs, they would hold off the West Virginia Mountaineers 41 to 31 as TCU. They remain undefeated and improve to 8 and 0 on the season in West Virginia. They now fall to 3 and 5 in what will likely be one of Neil Brown's final games as head coach of the Mountaineers. So, just a really rough season for West Virginia. I mean, not not too much to say. They had a lot of coaching issues as well in this game and both teams really just both teams were really flawed. I mean, just best way to put it, both were really Injury riddled. I mean, TCU. You know, Max Duggan was dealing with a calf injury. Uh, Quentin Johnston was dealing was dealing with some type of lower leg injury, and just overall, really rough day by both teams. But luckily for the Horn Frogs, they would be able to escape with a win as they will face off against Texas Tech next week in what should be, I mean, just an offensive juggernaut of a game. But anyway, guys, the next game that we are going to talk about, we're going to travel up to Syracuse, New York, as we had the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. uh, going off against the 16th ranked Syracuse Orange and well for Syracuse disappointing loss last week in Clemson Mm, excuse me guys 
disappointing loss last week in Clemson. You know, there were a lot of mistakes that they did make, a lot of things that you could kind of say were the ref's fault, favoritism, whatever you want to call it, but Syracuse would ultimately fall short against a pretty decent uh, Clemson team. And, you know, now this week they're going up against Notre Dame, a team that's really struggled this year to find any type of offensive identity. The defense hasn't been half that bad at all, just the offense with Drew Pine have not been able to get anything going. And well, in this game, Notre Dame, they really did not have to rely on Drew Pine at all. As Drew Pine on the day didn't really play that well. 9 for 19, 116 yards uh, throwing with one touchdown and one interception. And really the story of the game would be the fact of what they were able to do in the run game. As Audric Estime, he would have a huge game for the Irish. 20 carries for 123 yards rushing and two touchdowns. And then to make it even better, the Irish also had another 75-plus yard rusher in Logan Diggs as he would have 20 rushing attempts on 85, 85 yards rushing and one touchdown. And ultimately, just this run game of the Irish would really give the Syracuse defense a ton, and I mean a ton of fits in this game. And then to make matters even worse for the Orange, their starting quarterback, Garrett Schrader, he would be taken out of the game due to an injury. And just things from that point just kind of fell apart. Sean Tucker also, the star running back for Syracuse, he would have 16 carries on 60 yards rushing and one touchdown. But ultimately, Notre Dame, which I had ruled out in this game, I didn't think Notre Dame would be able to beat Syracuse. I thought Syracuse's defense would really give this offense of Notre Dame a lot of fits, but... You know, a lot of credit out there to uh, Tommy Reese and Mar uh, not I almost said Morgan Freeman, Marcus Freeman for being able to finally adjust to the strengths of their team. And they decided, hey, we're going to run the football. And I mean, they ran, they ran, they ran the dang football on the Syracuse Orange as Notre Dame. They would go on to beat Syracuse 41 to 24. As Notre Dame, they get a huge upset win over the Orange as they improve to. Uh, they approved a 5-3 and three on the season. And then Syracuse, they unfortunately now suffer two straight losses after being 6-0 and at one point this year as they now fall to 6-2. and two. But overall, they're not playing a bad team because really, I mean, I know Notre Dame, they lost to Marshall, almost lost to Cal. They lost to Stanford. But, you know, they gave Ohio State a ton of fits week one in Columbus. So I think it's just a team that, you know, they're kind of trying to find an identity. And definitely in this game, they realized, hey, a lot of our strong suits are going to come from running the football, and thankfully enough, and I know for a lot of Notre Dame fans, they're definitely super happy that they finally got things going in this game against the Qs, but anyways, y'all, the next game that we're going to talk about in our noon slate of games, we're going to travel down south to Auburn as we had the Arkansas Razorbacks taking on the Auburn Tigers, and well... Auburn's offensive struggles definitely continued in this game. Robbie Ashford, he would go 24 for 33, 285 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. And really just the offensive line has been killing Auburn. I mean, I, you can't really blame them too, too much because just they, I mean, Robbie Ashford's just not having enough time to be able to throw the football, make his right reads and do everything that he needs to do in order to make this a successful offense. And, you know, just overall really rough day as Robbie Ashford also would be the leading rusher for the Tigers as he would have 19 carries for 87 yards rushing. But on the flip side for Arkansas, K.J. Jefferson had a really solid day throwing the football and running the football as on the day K.J. Jefferson would go 16 for 24, 234 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions and truly looked like the K.J. Jefferson that we got used to seeing last year. And like I said, in the ground, he also would have 10 carries for 45 yards rushing and two touchdowns with one very reminiscent to a Cam Newton run. I mean, just stiff-arming guys, trucking over them, just really physical runner. And not to mention, though, I mean, 
Arkansas, their starting running back, Raheem Sanders, who's only a sophomore, mind you, had a just amazing day against the Auburn Tigers. 16 carries for 171 yards rushing, as ultimately the efforts by Raheem and K.J. Jefferson would lead the Razorbacks to a 41-27 win over the Auburn Tigers. As Arkansas, they now improved a 5-3 and three on the year, and Auburn, they now fall to 3-5. and five. And it's kind of just a ticking time bomb for when Brian Harson will ultimately get fired because we all know He's not going to last another season, let alone, I don't think, another couple weeks. I definitely would expect him to probably be gone by the time Auburn plays uh, uh, Alabama. But, I mean, heck, who knows? It's it's just kind of a weird thing going on right now down there in Auburn. But, anyway, guys, for our next game that we are going to be talking about, we're going to travel out to Ames, Iowa, as we had the Oklahoma Sooners, led by Dylan Gabriel, taking on the Iowa State Cyclones. And, well, for Iowa State, um... They didn't do a horrible job containing Oklahoma's offense, especially in the first half. But Iowa State, the problem is, and even for the state of Iowa, whether it's the Hawkeyes or the Cyclones, just offense just does not exist. I mean, for Iowa State, their starting quarterback, um, sorry guys, Hunter Deckers, he really had a rough game today. I mean, really rough, just a bunch of dumb reads. You know, statistically, he's not the worst until you get to his interceptions, but he would go 37 for 57, 312 yards passing with one touchdown, and then a just really miserable last interception that really cost them the game, but he would have three picks on the day. And outside of really him offensively, they weren't able to really do too much. A lot of the wide receivers, they were struggling to make catches. Xavier Hutchinson, who personally I like a lot, didn't really have his best day by any means, having 10, 10 receptions for 72 yards receiving and zero touchdowns. And then uh, Noel as well, who's kind of like a double-headed wide receiver duo for the Cyclones. He would have seven receptions for 58 yards receiving and one touchdown on the day, which would be the lone touchdown for the Cyclones. And then for the uh, Oklahoma Sooners, a lot of credit definitely needs to get, be given to their defense because they really stepped up in this game. I mean, they forced three interceptions. They also had uh, seven tackles for losses. I mean, they were you know they didn't have a bad game compared to the Oklahoma Sooners that we saw against Kansas, that we saw against TCU, saw against Texas, Kansas State. You know, there's a lot more improvements, and that's why me personally, I didn't really give up on Brent Venables because I know it takes time to build a team, build these relationships, and definitely it showed against the Cyclones as Oklahoma, they would go on to beat the Cyclones in Ames 27-13 to as Oklahoma, they now improved to 5-3 and on the year, and Iowa State, they now fall to 3-5, and and just, man, they have a solid defense, I mean a super solid defense. But offensively, they're missing They're missing guys like Brees Hall. They're missing guys like Charlie Kohler and the three tight ends that they had last year. And then most importantly, they're missing the veteran quarterback leadership that they had in Brock Purdy. But anyway, the Cyclones, they now fall to 3-5 and five as tough times are currently going on right now in Ames, Iowa. But man, just really rough game to watch if you were a Iowa Cyclone or Iowa State Cyclone fan. But... <laughs> Anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to be talking about, we're going to travel down south. So we're going to go back down south as we had the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets taking on the Florida State Seminoles. And, well, I expected Florida State to definitely win this game, and that's exactly what they did. As Florida State, you know, their starting quarterback, Jordan Travis, who personally I am really high on. I love the fact that he has great mobility, but he also has a really solid arm, and I think that's kind of an underrated piece of his game. As Jordan Travis on the day against the Yellow Jackets, he would go 24 for 38, 396 yards passing with three touchdowns and didn't throw any interceptions, 
which was huge for the Seminoles. Johnny Wilson, he would have a huge day. Three receptions for 111 yards receiving and one touchdown. And man, you know, just for Georgia Tech, you know, Jeff Sims, who's out right now with an injury in which he suffered against Virginia last Thursday, you know, they had to go to their backup quarterback and, well, just really rough day offensively for the Yellow Jackets as they would only be able to put up one touchdown in this game with three field goals. As Florida State, they would go on to blow out the Yellow Jackets 41-16 to as Florida State. They now improved to 5-3, and three, and unfortunately with Georgia Tech, they now fall to 3-5. and five. It's pretty much, I would say, definitely their season's over with, but they have a lot to look forward to in the future, a lot of young talent, and hopefully they do get things figured out. But for Florida State, I still think they're a really solid team in the ACC. I mean, there's not really that many competitive teams outside of NC State and Clemson in the ACC that you could really say are contending for the ACC championship. So just really just something to kind of monitor with the Florida State Seminoles because I do think that if Jordan Travis continues to do Jordan Travis things and continues to ball out, the Florida State Seminoles are definitely a team to watch out for despite having those three losses on their record. So anyway, guys, that will wrap up our noon slate of games. Let me know which one, which game was y'all's personal favorite. Mine had to have definitely been that thrilling game that we had up in Happy Valley between the Buckeyes and the Nittany Lions. Just, you know, seeing kind of Ohio State seem human for once just didn't feel real, but... Once the offense got things going, once Travion Henderson was able to get things going on the ground, Marvin Harrison, Emeka Ibuka, just all of those guys getting things going in the fourth quarter. You know, Ohio, Ohio State really proved that, hey, they are meant to be, and you know, don't underestimate their defense as well. I mean, their defense really stood out in this game against a really good run game from Penn State. But anyway, guys, now that we're done talking about our noon slate of games, the first game in our uh, midday slate of games that I do want to talk about is going to be the Oklahoma State Cowboys traveling traveling up almost said out for some reason traveling up north to take on the Kansas State Wildcats and well for Kansas State in this game um, Adrian Martinez would not play he was dealing with the leg injury against TCU that he suffered early on in the game he would not start this game Will Howard the junior quarterback he would start in this game and well for Kansas State Deuce Vaughn really is a story for the, the Wildcats offense. I mean, they were going to rely on him a ton in this game, and that is exactly what they did. As Deuce Vaughn, I mean, figurative, figuratively and literally ran all over the Pokes defense. As on the day, Deuce Vaughn would have a career day, having 22 carries for 158 yards rushing and one touchdown. And then, like I talked about a little bit earlier, Adrian Martinez, he would not start this game and play at all for the of the Kansas State Wildcats, and that was no problem at all because Will Howard, who shined early on in the game last week against TCU, he had his best career game and arguably one of the best games that I have seen personally watched, like just watching the game, as he'd go 21 for 37, 296 yards passing with four touchdowns and zero interceptions. And man, this Kansas State team, and a lot, I mean, a lot of credit needs to be given to their defense because their defense. They just suffocated this Oklahoma State offense, and they didn't allow any type of point. Not a field goal, not a touchdown, not a safety, no sort of point in this game. So just an amazing game overall by Kansas State's defense that really stepped it up, especially in the first half. And Malik Knowles, kind of just talking a little bit more about the offense, Malik Knowles, who's going into his senior year now at Kansas State, he had an amazing game as well. Eight receptions for 113 yards receiving and zero touchdowns. But, man, one of the biggest weapons today was Cade Warner, a senior wide receiver for the Kansas State Wildcats, who's been with them for a decent amount of time now. He had five receptions on the day for 97 yards receiving and two touchdowns as Kansas State would go on to blow 
out the Oklahoma State Cowboys and not just blow out. They would go out. They were also going to shut out Oklahoma State 48 to 0. Spencer Sanders on the day had a rough game. I mean, just rough going 13 for 26, 147 yards passing with zero touchdowns and then one interception. He would leave the game towards the end with a injury. So hopefully everything is okay with him. But just man just a rough day is Oklahoma State total they barely had over 200 yards of total offense which for a high powering offense like Oklahoma State has that is just horrendous and that is not going to win you ball games and obviously it showed in this game against a really good competitive Kansas State team and now the biggest question is does Kansas State kind of take that second spot in the Big 12? You know, obviously TCU, they're at number one right now, sitting at 8-0. and So does Kansas State, do they take over Oklahoma State's spot? I mean, Oklahoma State, they're a good team, but man, a lot of things definitely got exposed for the pokes in this game. But anyway, the final score would be 48-0 to Kansas State as they literally pulled off probably the, not the biggest upset, but just one of the biggest surprises of just this college football season so far. And... I mean, just what a game it was for Will Howard, who sat behind uh, Skylar Thompson originally, who was the starting quarterback for Kansas State the past four years. And then Adrian Martinez transfers in, and instead of transferring out, kind of similar to what Max Duggan did, he waited his turn, waited his turn, and then when he got when his name got called on, absolutely balled out. So what an amazing game by Will Howard. But anyway, guys, since we're talking about upsets, and we had another surprising upset too, like, I mean, a game that I definitely did not see happening one bit whatsoever and it's going to be over in the ACC as we had the 10th ranked Wake Forest Demon Deacons taking on the Louisville Cardinals and well for Wake Forest as we all know Sam Hartman who's really the literal heart of that Wake Forest offense and team just could not get anything going had made a lot of big time mistakes he threw three interceptions in this game as Sam Hartman on the day he would go 20 for 35 271 yards passing with one touchdown and then those three interceptions I talked about and just they couldn't get a lot going on offense and then also it didn't help the fact with those three turnovers that they threw I mean that really was crucial which two of them would go back for a touchdown as well so he threw two pick sixes too so just not the best thing that you're going to want out of a quarterback like Sam Hartman, who knows better and definitely just should not be making those type of mistakes. But a lot of credit needs to be given to Louisville because, man, did they dominate the run game in this game. They put up 212 total rushing yards in this game. Malik Cunningham, who's their star quarterback and had a lot of expectations going into this year, hasn't necessarily lived up to him, but definitely is a really solid quarterback. Malik Cunningham on the day, he would have nine rushing attempts for 38 yards rushing and two touchdowns, but the biggest weapon for the Cardinals in this game had to have been their junior running back, Tyon Evans, as he would have 11 rushing attempts on 106 rushing yards and one touchdown. He would leave this game with an injury, so hopefully everything is okay with Tyon. But, man, just what a day by that Louisville defense as they really, and I mean really, shut out this Wake Forest offense that has just been so high-powering this year. I mean, even against Clemson, they balled out. But this Louisville team, they're starting to heat up. I mean, with this win that they just got on Wake Forest, they now improved to 5-3 and three and are slowly coming back from a really rough start to the year. And then for Wake Forest, by losing this game, they likely drop out of the top 15. You know, they're going to be sitting at 6-2. and two. Not a bad team by any means, but, man, just a lot of costly mistakes. And that's really what lost them in this game as Louisville. They would go on to beat Wake Forest 48 to 21 in what was an up, one of the biggest upsets of the weekend. And you'll notice as we continue to talk about, especially the midday slate of games, 
we just had a ton of upsets. I mean, it was, I mean, a lot of these games I didn't predict. I predict Wake Forest, like when I did our little preview, I predicted that Wake Forest shouldn't have an issue against a team like Louisville. I mean, nothing against Louisville, but they're just not able to throw the football. And I thought, okay, well, Wake Forest, they pride themselves on throwing the football. So the amount of points they'll put up versus the amount of points that Louisville won't put, they won't put up kind of would, you know, allow for Wake Forest to have a, you know, huge game. But, I mean, a lot of credit definitely needs to be given to Louisville as they have a ton of just young guys that I really think are just going to blossom for this team. And not to mention, they also do have a top 50 uh, recruiting class in next year's class, which does feature the number one uh, running back in all of the 2023 class, Ruben Owens. So this, the future is definitely bright over there in Louisville. But anyway, Louisville would go on to upset the 10th ranked Wake Forest Demon Deacons 48-21 to and just what was a blowout game pretty much after halftime. I mean, because the third quarter that Louisville had, they put up 35 points, which is just unreal. I mean, they really were just giving it to Wake Forest this whole game. But anyway, before I continue, just keep rambling and rambling and rambling and wasting y'all's time. Let's get on to our next game that I'm going to talk about, and that is going to be the Illinois Fighting Illini traveling out to Lincoln, Nebraska to take on the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And well, early on in this game, it was actually pretty close as after the first quarter, Illinois would be only leading the Cornhuskers 6-3. to three, And then Nebraska, they would come out with a long touchdown pass. And then ultimately, they would miss the extra point. So it would only be 9-6. to six. And then, well, Illinois started to get things clicking in the second quarter as they would put up 14 points. And a huge part of that would definitely have to be their star running back and one of the best running backs in all of college football, Chase Brown, who's really emerged this year. I mean, he leads all. All of college football and rushing yards with 1,000 yards on the year already. But in this game against the Cornhuskers, he would have 32 rushing attempts for 149 yards rushing and then one touchdown as well. And just really, really was a huge part in why Illinois was able to just ball out on offense. Because having a guy like him is super hard to contain and it definitely did show in this game. And then for quarterback play for the Fighting Illini, Tommy DeVito, the former Syracuse quarterback, now at Illinois, he started kind of you know, find a role here. He kind of, you know, found his place. And in this game, he only had two incompletions on the day. As Tommy DeVito, he would go 20 for 22, 179 yards passing with two touchdowns and no interceptions. As Illinois, they would have a great second quarter. Not too much action, not too much action in the second half as Nebraska would get completely shut out and Illinois would only put up two field goals. As the Fighting Illini go on to beat Nebraska 26-9 as Illinois, they now improve to 7-1 on the year. And Nebraska, they now fall to a disappointing 3-5. So, yeah, just man. And then Casey Thompson, he also had two picks in this game, the former Texas quarterback. So, just the whole Casey experiment didn't really work out too well up there in Lincoln. And hopefully, I mean, hopefully they get things figured out. But, man, just... Not looking too good right now up in Lincoln, Nebraska. And it'll be interesting to see who they do hire as their next head coach. But anyway, guys, for our next game that we're going to be talking about, we're going, and let me let me scroll down, let me scroll down, let me, let, let me look at all of our games. We're going to travel up to Minnesota as we had the Rutgers Scarlet Knights taking on the Minnesota Golden Gophers, who have dropped, I think, two of their last three games to Penn State, which obviously they got blown out in that game in Penn State's whiteout. And just overall, just it's been a struggle these past few weeks. Uh, Tanner Morgan, who's 
been with Minnesota, and I kid you not, I think for six years now, I think it's been, I think it's more like five, but it feels like he's been there for about six or seven. He was finally back in this game, and he had a pretty solid day. I mean, he didn't have to do too much because we'll talk a little bit why here in a second. But on the day, Tanner Morgan, he would go 14 for 21, 120, 20, 122 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. And, well, the focal point of this Minnesota Golden Gophers t offense, especially as we know, is their senior running back, Mo Ibrahim, who, and I know you probably hear me all the time say, one of the best, one of the best, one of the best. But, I mean, there are so many good running backs in college football, and Mo Ibrahim is definitely one of the best in all of college football, as Mo Ibrahim on the day would have an amazing game. I think one of his best as a, best as a collegiate athlete. He would have 36 carries for 159 yards rushing and three touchdowns, as Mo Ibrahim would really carry this Golden Gophers offense on his back as they would lead them to a much needed win over the Rutgers Scarlet Knights 31 to 0 as Minnesota they get back in the win column and improve to 5 and 3 and Rutgers after an okay start to the year they're kind of starting to fall but a little bit back a little bit back down to reality as they now fall to 4 and 4 but overall just a really good game by Minnesota so but anyway guys we did have another upset we had a few upsets actually in our uh midday slate of games that we're going to talk about but the next upset that we did have we're going to go out to, if I can find it real quick, we had the Missouri Tigers traveling out to Columbia, South Carolina to take on the 25th ranked South Carolina Gamecocks. And, and, you know, well, for South Carolina, you know, last week they're coming off a really, really good win against a pretty solid Texas A&M Aggie team. I know the record doesn't show it. I know all the current drama going down, you know, in College Station with all the recruits getting dismissed and suspended and everything like that. But, you know, they're still a really good team, and it was a really impressive win for, for South Carolina. I mean, you know, you can say whatever you want, but, you know, just really consistent play finally. Well, in this game, South Carolina's offense just did not show up one bit. Spencer Rattler struggled heavily in this game, whether it was over, overthrowing wide receivers or just not making the right reads. Just It was just a really bad game for the South Carolina Gamecocks. And, you know, Marshawn Lloyd, who was really a huge factor in why South Carolina was able to win their game last weekend against the Texas A&M Aggies, he really didn't have too much of a role in this game. He pretty much got shut out by Missouri's defense. So I think Missouri overall, they just played better they were the better team in this game and I, I never really understood why why South Carolina even got jumped into the top 25 and you know after this upset win by Missouri they likely will never see the top 25 again as Missouri they will go on to beat the Gamecocks in Columbia 23 to 10 as Missouri they now improved to four and four on the year and South Carolina they now fall to five and three and also fall out of the top 25 but Anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to talk about in our uh, midday slated games, we're going to talk about the 20th-ranked Cincinnati Bearcats traveling down to the bounce house to take on the UCF Knights. And, man, please, for the love of God, somebody rank UCF. It is about time we get this team a just ton of respect. I mean, this is one of the best teams in college football. I don't care what you say, what you think. What Gus Malzahn has done for UCF since, since he got – fired by Auburn came down to Orlando he has done absolute wonders for this program but anyway in this game John Rise Plumlee the normal starter for the Knights he would actually leave this game after suffering a really scary hit in the second quarter where he literally would bounce his head off the ground and then would literally trip over himself kind of similar to the two attack of a low situation so just really scary times that were happening but overall 
just really solid run game for UCF as they would put up over 250 rushing yards in this game to add along with three rushing touchdowns. And normally this team, they really they really get it done in the air, but this game, they had to rely a lot on the run as Cincinnati, they have a really good secondary, and that's exactly what they would do as their leading rusher in this game would come in the form of junior running back R.J. Harvey. And R.J. in this game, he would have 18 carries for 84 rushing yards and two touchdowns on the day. And man, just really strong, just really strong game by UCF. You know, they actually would be trailing going into the fourth quarter. And, well, after a strong 13-point fourth quarter, fourth quarter and then shutting out Cincinnati on their last drive of the game, UCF would get the upset win over the 20th-ranked Cincinnati Bearcats, 25-21 to as UCF. They now improve to 6-2 and on the year. And Cincinnati, they now fall to 6-2 and on the year. And I'm telling you, I'm going to be pissed if I do not see UCF in the top 25 because, man, they are definitely more deserving of the top 25 than teams like South Carolina. And unfortunately with Cincinnati, but the biggest thing with Cincinnati is the fact that they lost so much talent in last year's draft that it's kind of unrealistic to expect them to even do half of what they did last year, let alone even make a New York Six Bowl game. So... But anyway, guys, the next game and the final game that we're actually going to talk about in our midday slate of games, we're going to go down to the Old South, most specifically Duval County as and you know, Jacksonville Jaguars Stadium as we had the Florida Gators taking on the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs. And well, I think we all could have really predicted how this game was going to go. Nothing against Florida, nothing against the Gators, but man, just Georgia's too good of a team offensively, defensively, every single step of the way. They are just a better team than the Gators. But I got to give Georgia a lot of credit. Or not Georgia. I got to give Florida a lot of credit. They did start to slowly come back in the third quarter, putting up 17 points as they would cut their, I think it was a, if I look correctly, it was a, oh, yeah, 28-3 to deficit that they faced at halftime. I know a lot of Georgia fans, you've got nightmares. In case you're wondering, the Super Bowl where the Falcons and Patriots played, the Falcons led 28-3 to at halftime. And, you know, just safe to say Tom Brady ended up getting the dub at the end of that game. But anyway, Florida, despite their little comeback attempt in the third quarter, Georgia would immediately put them back into reality. So it was very, very short-lived. But Anthony Richardson on the day actually didn't play too bad considering, you know, just I don't want to say not the non-amount of talent that he has around him because Florida definitely has talent. But Anthony Richardson didn't have a horrible game, 50 50% completion rate as you as you go 18 for 36 271 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions he only and here's another thing too Anthony Richardson who is really big when it comes in the run game right that's one of the, his best parts of his game is the fact that he's able to run the football very well he only would get 10 rushing yards on the day so good job by Georgia for shutting him out in that category and for receiving wise Florida their top receiver would be Xavier Henderson who's a sophomore he would have a really good day as in this game he would he would absolutely ball out as he would have five receptions for 110 yards receiving and one touchdown but ultimately it would be uh Brock Bowers who's just unworldly he's from a different dimension he's from a different world I don't know why he somehow ended up at Georgia but man he is a stud and will likely in next year's draft be a top 10 pick as Brock Bowers on the day had had he would go insane five receptions for 154 yards receiving and one incredible touchdown where the defender tipped the ball in the air and did like a weird little wave on his back and then floated right into Brock Bowers' hands and he would run all the way to the end zone to extend the Georgia Bulldogs lead as Georgia in this game, they would go on to beat the Florida Gators 
42 to 20 as Georgia they remain undefeated and improved to 8 and 0 and Florida they now fall to 4 and 4 on the year. So yeah guys, that'll wrap up our midday slate of games. So now let's get over to our night slate of games and you all know one of the biggest games of the weekend and the first game that we're going to talk about in our uh nighttime slate of games to recap that we're going to talk about is going to be the 19th the 19th ranked uh, Kentucky Wildcats traveling to Knoxville, Tennessee to take on Heisman hopeful Hendon Hooker and the Tennessee Volunteers. And, well, for Tennessee, biggest thing was consistency. We needed to be able to continue to consistently throw the football with Hendon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt, who's really emerged as one of the best wide receivers in all of college football. And then for, and then for Kentucky, can we get Chris Rodriguez and that run game going and just kind of counter, you know what I'm saying? Because Tennessee, they've got a decent pass, decent uh, passing defense. Run defense is okay as well, but could we get our star running back, Chris Rodriguez, going in this game? And, well, for the Volunteers, their offense just – Picked up immediately where they left off last week against UT Martin. As Hendon Hooker was practically perfect in this game against Kentucky, going 19 for 25, 245 yards passing with three touchdowns and no interceptions. I mean, it's really hard to say how he's not the clear-cut Heisman favorite. I mean, just looking at the opponents he's played, how well he played against Alabama, how well he's played against LSU and all of these big-time but, you know, programs, heck, even Pitt. And then look at the flip side about how well he's making his teammates look too and everything like that. I mean, just the fact that Hendon Hooker right now is not the clear-cut favorite is just ridiculous. And, you know, his biggest weapon this season so far, Jalen Hyatt, who literally should probably win the Belenikoff. If he doesn't win the Belenikoff Award, I might actually riot because, man, he has been on fire this year. He would get his 14th touchdown reception of the year, which is a school record for the Vols. Jalen Hyatt, he would finish his night with five receptions for 138 yards receiving and then two touchdowns on the day. And, I mean, just Tennessee, they just had a field day with Kentucky. Their defense, which I don't think is going to get enough credit in this game, their defense was played absolutely brilliant against Kentucky, forcing three uh excuse me guys, forcing three interceptions and just overall just a really solid day by the Vols. And then for Kentucky, Will Levis looked horrendous in this game, going 16 for 27, 98 yards passing with zero touchdowns, and then three critical interceptions in this game. Just wasn't really able to get his foot going in this game. And once again, it continues to further the argument that a lot of people are having is why a lot of these draft people a lot of these experts why do they have Will Levis ahead of guys like CJ Stroud or Hendon Hooker or you know like all these other guys that are already proven themselves Will Levis he's proven himself in certain games but when it comes to big time matchups he just does not show up and Hendon Hooker he 100% showed up in this game. And then for Chris Rodriguez, who Kentucky really needed to get the ball going in this game, he would have an okay game with 15 carries for 64 yards rushing and one touchdown. But ultimately, just it would not be enough offensively by the Wildcats. And then it didn't help the fact that they're going up against, in my opinion, the best offense in all of college football. As Tennessee, they would go on to blow out Kentucky 44-6 as, as uh, Tennessee. They now proved to 8-0, and and they're going to be looking forward to their matchup with, with potential number two, Georgia, because I feel like, in my opinion, Tennessee should be number one. But next weekend, playing down there in Athens, Georgia, that's going to be arguably the biggest game of the year. And then for Kentucky... They play against Missouri next week, and hopefully they'll be able to get the they'll be able to keep going in the right direction. But just what an amazing win for the Vols as their offense just continues to pick up after each other week after week after week. And I mean seriously, 
they arguably have the Heisman winner at quarterback and the Belenikoff winner at wide receiver, and this Vols team is seriously going to be contending for a national championship. And now, guys, for our next game that we will be talking about on our evening slate of games, we're going to go out to College Station, Texas, as we had the 15th-ranked Ole Miss Rebels taking on the struggling Texas A&M Aggies. And for Texas A&M, a lot of drama during the week. It was reported that three to four pretty high-level true freshmen, they had been suspended indefinitely. And, you know, there's just a lot more turmoil and everything like that going around the whole A&M program. So, my biggest concern was how they would respond on Saturday. And then to make matters even worse, their starting quarterback, Haynes King, he would not play in this game due to a shoulder injury. So they would have to start true freshman quarterback, Connor Wigman. And well, Connor Wigman actually might be the quarterback of the future for the Aggies as Connor in his first ever collegiate start, he balled out. I know the final drive, there were some questionable throws, but he got so roughed up the drive before. I mean, he just played incredible considering the opponents he was playing, Ole Miss as a whole. I mean, they're a really solid team as Connor Wigman in his first career start. He'd go 28 for 44, 338 yards passing with four touchdowns and zero interceptions. Just absolutely a great performance by him. And then we can't forget about Devon A-Chain. I mean, he's he's the bell cow of this A&M offense. He would have 25 carries on 138 yards receiving and zero touchdowns. And then he would also have seven receptions for 41 yards receiving and one touchdown through the air. So really solid game for A-Chain. And then the freshman Evan Stewart, he had a couple highlight catches in this game, having six receptions for 88 yards receiving and one touchdown. And then his one touchdown really sparked Kyle Field as then they would take a 14-7 lead over Ole Miss. And even going into half, A&M, they were beating Ole Miss 14-10. But just Ole Miss in the second half, they got the better of this team and when I say Ole Miss, I really mean their star freshman running back, Quinshawn Judkins. He had his best career day by like by far right now. I mean, he's only a true freshman, but he absolutely destroyed this A&M defense, going for 34 rushes for 205 yards rushing and one touchdown on the day. That now makes his season total. If let me look real quick, guys, my bad. He now has 12 total rushing touchdowns on the year, which I don't know why it says 12. It should be 13, but he is balling out for Ole Miss. And I mean, Ole Miss, they are just so spoiled by all the elite talent that they have at running back. I mean, Jackson Dart, the quarterback, he even put up 95 rushing yards of his own. Zach Evans, he would put up 75. The TCU transfer, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And they still have a couple other banged-up running backs. So imagine when they do come back healthy. And then for Jackson Dart, he really didn't have to throw the football much in this game. He'd go 13 for 20 for 140 yards uh, throwing, my bad, and then three touchdowns on zero interceptions. And definitely the story of this game, it'll come down to the fact that both teams, they just really could not stop the run. I mean, Devon Aching, he ran all over Ole Miss. Qu uh, Quinshawn Judkins, he ran all over A&M. So both teams, they had a lot of struggles on defense. They each had their own little in injury bugs, this and that. But ultimately, it would come down to the final drive of the game as unfortunately Connor Wigman would throw a little bit too high over his intended wide receiver. And Ole Miss, they would survive in College Station as they would go on to beat the Aggies. 31 to 28 as Ole Miss they and they now improved to eight and one on the year and then the Aggies unfortunately they now fall to three and five and now they're just going to be fighting to even see if they'll be able to make a bowl game because they have to win you know currently sitting at three and five they have to win the next 
three out of their four remaining games, and that still has games included with teams like Florida, which I know Florida, they got kind of exposed by Georgia, but they're still a really good team. You still have Auburn, and then you have LSU to wrap up the year. So, I mean, it's a really tough slate of, you know, really tough slate of games for the Aggies upcoming, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I know Jimbo Fisher's contract, they'd have to pay him like upwards of $90 million, which is just an absurd amount of money. So, in reality, they're not going to get rid of Jimbo Fisher, but it's going to be interesting to see what type of tensions do get built if A&M actually does end up missing a bowl game and they finish the year, say, 4-8 and eight or 5-7. and seven. But anyway, Ole Miss, they somehow survive against Texas A&M as they go on to beat the Aggies 31-28 to in College Station. So, anyway, guys, the next game that we will be talking about is going to be between the struggling Michigan State Spartans as they take on their in-state rival, the fourth-ranked Michigan Wolverines. And, well, Blake Corum, the star running back and Heisman hopeful running back for the Michigan Wolverines, he just continued to, you know, help better his case. 33 carries for 177 yards rushing and one touchdown. He absolutely balled out against Michigan. And then for Michigan overall, not their best offensive showing. I mean, when you look at the score, obviously it's very one-sided, but – this really wasn't even the best game that we've seen Michigan, you know, offensively. And that's a scary thing to say. And then on the flip side for Michigan State, they just could not get anything going in the run game. And that's really what killed them in this game. I mean, they only put up 37 total rushing yards. I mean, a year ago, back when they had Kenneth Walker, I mean, you would have never expected something like this. So hopefully Michigan State, they do figure things out. But Michigan, they would go on to pretty much just run past their in-state rival as they'd go on to beat the Spartans 29-7. As Michigan, they remain undefeated and improve to 8-0 and on the season. And Michigan State, they now fall to 3-5. and And really, once again, kind of similar to A&M, they're going to be lucky if they even make a bowl game. So just some really rough times going on there for the uh for the Michigan Spartans, you could always, you know, just unfortunately tuck. He did not show up, and ooh, man, really rough times for the Michigan State Spartans. But anyway, guys, the next game that we do have as we had the 10th-ranked USC Trojans led by Caleb Williams traveling out to Tucson to take on the Arizona Wildcats. And, well, this game was a lot closer than I really think it should have been. Caleb Williams, he had a really good game going 31 for 45, 411 yards passing with five touchdowns and zero interceptions. So he returned to the Oklahoma form that I know a lot of USC fans have been waiting to continue to see. I mean, he backed up after a great performance against Utah a few weeks ago. Uh, Travis Dye, he also had a really good game running for USC, 20 carries for 113 yards rushing and one touchdown. And overall, when you look at USC offensively, they played really good, putting up 411 receiving yards on the day to add on top of already 200-plus rushing. So not a really bad game for the Trojans, but unfortunately, Arizona, they would really counter a lot of the touchdowns that USC would get and really kept this game really close, even going into the fourth quarter. But ultimately, USC, they would barely scrape by the Wildcats in Tucson, 45-37. to As USC, they now improved to 7-1 and are continuing to keep their Pac-12 championship hopes alive. I don't think this team will make the playoff, just once again, due to the fact that their schedule, it is very weak, and they already have one loss. And say, for example, they somehow don't make the Pac-12 championship, it's really not going to help their case. And then for Arizona, they now fall to 3-5 and five on the year. And very similar to Michigan State and A&M, going to be lucky if they do make a bowl game. But biggest things for USC is I just it's not a good look if you're getting absolutely torched by an Arizona Wildcat team that's really – or Bearcat team. I don't know why I've been saying Wildcat. Bearcat team that's just 
been very eh, you know, nothing crazy. So, but anyway, guys, now we're going to talk about our next game that we've got and we had on this beautiful slate of college football. And I mean, man, it's probably the longest episode we've done. I know I'm just, you know, just talking and talking and talking, but just so many good games that we did have. And for the next game that we're going to talk about, we're going to travel down to Texas as we had the Baylor Bears traveling out to Lubbock to take on the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And well, Texas Tech got a whole bunch of reality check in this game because, man, did the quarterback play for them. Was it horrible? Byron Morton, who kind of took over for Donovan Smith, who has been historically known for being a turnover machine, and he did that exact same thing again in this game. Tyler Shug, he would come in for just a couple plays. It was weird, but he would also throw an interception as well. As Texas Tech, they would throw five interceptions total in this game, three from Byron Morton and then one apiece for Shug and Smith. But for Byron Morton, just a really rough game. I mean, you could tell a lot of the inexperience it showed in this game as he'd go 11 for 33, 152 yards passing with one touchdown and then those three interceptions. And, you know, Outside of that, Tech was not really able to do too much when it came to offensive-wise. They they were able to put up 149 yards rushing. They would be led by junior running back Taj Brooks, who would put up 98 of his own. But, man, did Baylor, their defense, they just swarmed all over the field. I mean, they made this young quarterback just look like I'm talking your practice squad quarterback. I mean, it was just a good game by Baylor's defense. And I think this was the defense that Baylor expected to start the year. I mean, you know, going into the BYU game and everything like that, this was the defense that everybody was expecting from Baylor. And, well, when you look at Baylor offensively, they're starting to have an emerging star of their own, another really good running back that's going to be another Baylor product, and that comes in the form of true freshman running back Richard Reese as he had 36 carries for 148 yards rushing and three touchdowns against the Red Raiders, his best career game by far. I mean, he's going to be a young stud for the Bears going you know, for a long time. And then for the uh, for Baylor, their quarterback play, uh, Blake Shapin, who had been injured a few weeks back, really hasn't played the same since. He didn't have his best game by any means, but not a bad one. Going 19 for 30, 211 yards or two, 211 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. But I mean, when your defense is playing as good as they are and the run game's really clicking. I mean, hey, you don't have to really rely on throwing the football too much. But when they did throw the football, they were very successful in this game. And ultimately, it would just be the fact that Baylor's defense, they just suffocated the Texas Tech Red Raiders as they would force six sacks on the day as well to add on top of those five interceptions, one of those being a pick six. As Baylor, they would go on to just destroy the Red Raiders 45-17 to as Baylor. They now improved to 5-3. and three. In Texas Tech, they now fall to 4-4 four four as they'll take on the undefeated TCU Horned Frogs next weekend in Fort Worth. And now, guys, we're going to start We're gonna start to wrap things up a little bit. We just have two more games we're going to talk about. But the first game that we're going to talk about is going to be an, a, almost an AFC, an ACC matchup as we had the Pitt Panthers traveling out to Chapel Hill to take on the 21st-ranked North Carolina Tar Heels. And, well, for North Carolina, they definitely – didn't get things going until late in this game, and by late in this game, I mean the fourth quarter, as Drake May really didn't really didn't get anything going the first three quarters. Just UNC, they did not look like themselves, but Drake May, he would turn a really bad game into a really solid performance by him, as Drake May, who continues to have such an amazing freshman year for the Tar Heels, he would go 34 for 44 in this game, 
388 yards passing with five touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. I mean, they were just passing the football all over the Pitt Panthers. Josh Downs, one of the arguably one of the top wide receivers in all of college football, he would have 11 receptions on the day for 102 yards and two touchdowns. And then I can't forget, obviously, their leader in receiving yards in this game, Antoine Green, the senior wide receiver. He would have 180 yards of his own and two touchdowns as well. And then on the flip side for Pitt, uh, quarterback play wasn't really what kept them in this game originally. It was the fact that their star running back, a guy who I personally love, you know, after watching him against uh I think it was Tennessee in the beginning of the year, even West Virginia. I mean, this kid was just a stud, and he, he had an amazing performance, you know, solely by himself, an amazing performance. Isaiah Abanacanda, he would have 26 carries for 127 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Just a very physical runner, but is also very elusive. And then for Pitt, it didn't help the fact that their starting quarterback and former USC quarterback, Keaton Slovis, just struggled heavily in this game, going 14 for 31, 236 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. As North Carolina, they would be able to put up 21 points in the fourth quarter to ultimately get the win over Pitt, 42-24. to As North Carolina, they now improved to 7-1 on the year. And Pitt, they now unfortunately fall to 4-4. Four and four. And now, guys, to finally wrap up Week 9 and all of its action, we're going to talk about the Pac-12 after dark game that we got over in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena as we had the Stanford Cardinal taking on uh, DTR and the UCLA Bruins. And, well, y'all could pretty much guess how this game went. Zach Charbonnet and DTR, they had a field day against this really poor Stanford defense. As UCLA, they would go on to beat the Cardinal. So, Pretty decent way to wrap up week nine. Let me know what y'all's personal favorite game was. Mine had to have been that A&M and Ole Miss one. I mean, I just love the sheer fact of the environment at Kyle Field. I love the fact that, you know, this game literally came down to the final play. And, you know, me personally, I thought the Aggies would be able to pull out a win. It looked like it in the first half, but... You know, this is college football after all. Nothing ever goes how it's supposed to. But I'm also happy my Horn Frogs to stay undefeated and just all the amazing matchups that we had. So, guys, make sure to let me know what y'all's personal favorite game was. And, you know, thank y'all for all the support that y'all have shown here on the Cover 7 podcast and just for always being, always being here and always listening and always just truly loving the sport that I love so much as well. So thank y'all so much for being the amazing supporters that y'all are. And guys, also make sure to check out NFL Week 8 Recap, which will come out on Tuesday, so a day after the Monday night football matchup between the Browns and the Bengals. So guys, thank you so much again for listening to today's episode. I'm super excited to see what Week 10 has in, has in store for us. It's obviously the biggest matchup, arguably, of the century. We got Tennessee taking on Georgia. So guys, thank you. Thank you once again. And I'll see y'all very I'll see y'all here very, very soon. So peace y'all and have a great rest of y'all's weekend.